turn to Genesis 41. We continue our study here in the book of Genesis and the study of Joseph from the prison to the palace. We last saw Joseph. He was languishing in a, an Egyptian prison. He was in prison, but he had broken no laws. He was in prison because he had done the right thing and honored God in his life. He was in prison because he had refused the advances of a wicked woman. When we last saw Joseph, he was in a place of hardship. He was still faithfully serving the Lord. He was a man who had his priorities in order. And whenever Joseph, wherever Joseph was, he could be counted on to be faithful. And I hope by going through the story of Joseph that it's not just a story. Although many of us have heard the story, we've read it to our children time and time again. And now it's, some of us are reading it to our grandchildren. They want to read a book and they bring us the Bible storybook. And there we have the story of Joseph. But I hope as we go through it again tonight, even as we think about that, we'll... Think about little things like just what I said. He could be counted on to be faithful. Our children may not always understand that right away until we begin to explain that to them, but sometimes we as adults don't understand what that means. When we last saw Joseph, he was waiting for a visit from the outside. In chapter 40, Joseph had an inter, in, uh, had interested uh, a interesting dream from Pharaoh's chief butler. And when the butler was told the interpretation of his dream, he asked for the butler's help in securing his release. When the butler was released, he immediately forgot all about Joseph. Now in our text tonight, we're going to watch as Joseph is delivered from prison and promoted to the palace. We're going to see the unseen hand of God at work in his, this man's life. We're also going to see that what the Lord did for Joseph, He can do for you and for me. He knows where we are, and in His time, He knows how to bring us out of our prisons and place us in the palace. And so we're going to look at Joseph from the prison to the palace. First of all, notice... Joseph and Providence. To anyone looking at the life of Joseph, it must have appeared that the Lord had forgotten all about him. After all, he was a faithful servant of the Lord, but he was in prison. And uh, he was doing time for a crime that he had not committed. He only, it only looked like God had forsaken him. God was working behind the scenes to accomplish his eternal purposes. And God uses three amazing turns of events to bring about the release of Joseph from prison. Notice, first of all, the providential delays. In verse 1 it says, And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Joseph dreamed, or Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river, 
And we're told that Joseph waited in that prison for two full years. That was after the butler was released. And we're not told how long he was there before that, though. But God used the long, grinding years in prison to teach Joseph patience and dependence. God placed Joseph in a waiting room and left him there until some very very valuable lessons had been learned. God taught Joseph to wait on the Lord and to trust the Lord in spite of the situation at hand. And again, no doubt, many of you have experienced one of those waiting rooms in your life. I'm talking about a time when the Lord seems to have forgotten your address. I'm talking about those times when it seems like your prayers are not being answered. Nothing is going like you planned, and it seems that God is not interested in you or your need at all. Providential delays are never easy, but they are designed to focus our faith and increase our dependence upon the Lord. So we see providential delays. Secondly, we see providential dreams. Providential dreams. Again, in verse 1 it says, And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river, and behold, there came out of the river seven well-favored kine and fat-fleshed, and they fed in the meadow, and behold, seven other kine came up after them out of the water, ill-favored and lean-fleshed, and stood by the other kind upon the brink of the river. And the ill-favored and the lean-fleshed kind did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kind. So Pharaoh awoke. And then it goes on to say, And he slept and dreamed the second time, and behold, seven ears of corn came up upon one stock, rank and good. And behold, seven thin ears and blasted with the east wind, sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent, and he called all the magicians of Egypt, and all the wise men thereof, and Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Well, these dreams, of course, uh, cause great concern for Pharaoh. Verse 8 tells us that he was troubled. This word has the idea of being disturbed or greatly distressed. He called for his wise men. These were men who were supposed to be able to communicate with the Egyptian gods and share the Pharaoh with Pharaoh the counsel of those gods. But they could not interpret the dreams and it would appear that God closed their minds and caused them all to Draw a blank. Ever drawn a blank? Yeah. We've been taking a test or something. Oh, I just can't remember. Well, these fellows drew a blank. I know for sure that these men had never heard from their so-called gods. You see, that's why they drew a blank, because they never heard anything. But I'm also sure that in times past, they would probably have ventured a guess. This time they were silent. And to be a counselor with no counsel in that day was a dangerous thing. 
Again, this is the providential work of the Lord in Joseph's life. God sent us the dream to Pharaoh, and it's all, he also sent a blank mind to all Pharaoh's counselors. God was working behind the scenes. He was working to accomplish his eternal plan and his purpose. And I think that's a blessing. Pharaoh and his men thought that they were in control of everything that happened in Egypt. In truth, God was in control, and he is in control of all things, even the heart of the king, as it tells us in Proverbs 21 and verse 1. Now this passage gives us hope. It should serve to give us hope today. Let me tell you why. First of all, God is sovereign over all things. Over and over in Scripture, you can find God is sovereign. He is in control. He knows what's going on in your life and in my life. He knows what's going on in this world. Also, kings rule at the pleasure of the Lord. Even wicked kings, ungodly kings. We have a tendency to worry about what's going on in government sometimes. It becomes the topic of discussion. Man, did you hear what they did up in Washington? Or what they didn't do? And we, we talk about it and we worry about it. But we need to realize that God's purpose will not be thwarted by a Democrat nor a Republican. God is going to accomplish His purpose in this world. And before we leave that thought, I need to mention something I mentioned in earlier message about dreams. God does not speak through dreams in our day. In Joseph's time, they did not have the Bible. They did not have the complete revelation of God's Word. But we do. In our day, God speaks through His Word alone. The Bible is superior to dreams and visions in several ways. We have a more sure word of prophecy, as Peter said. First, the Bible speaks to many subjects. Dreams are very limited in their focus. Secondly, the Bible is far more trustworthy. Anyone can read it. A dream is only for the dreamer. And then thirdly, The Bible has absolute authority. Dreams really mean nothing. And then fourthly, Bible is certain and it's fixed. Dreams fade with time. Did you have a dream last night? Can you remember what it was? Probably not. Some dreams are more vivid to us than others and we remember them, but they eventually fade Put no faith in dreams and visions of the night, but instead read and study and build your life upon the Word of God. Then thirdly, there's providential deliverance. Providential deliverance. Look with me at verse 9. It says there, Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants, and he put me in the ward of the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker, and we dreamed a dream, and one night I and he, and we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream, and there was there with us a young man, a Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams, to each man according to his dream did he interpret, and it came to pass... 
as he interpreted to us, so it was, me restored into my office, and him he hanged. And then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. The butler finally shakes the cobwebs from his mind, and he remembers Joseph. Tells Pharaoh the story, and Joseph is delivered from the prison. He's brought to the palace. The hand of God is seen in this sequence of events. Joseph is brought to Pharaoh only when Pharaoh has been brought to a place of desperation. On any other day, this powerful ruler would not have listened to anything a prisoner had to say to him. On this day, he had no choice. He was desperate. He needed answers, and he was willing to listen to anyone who could possibly give them to him. We would do well to remember that our God operates this universe on split second timing. From the orbit of the tiny parts of every atom to the precise movements of the galaxies, God has everything on schedule. Even when the airports are all shut down and canceled flights, everything is right on schedule as far as God is concerned. When we want to see something happen, we want it now. We need to learn that God orders events and the very timing of those events and so that all of life runs on His perfect schedule. When did Jesus come to the disciples in the storm? Right on time. When did Jesus show up at the tomb of Lazarus? Right on time. When did Jesus arrive at the house of Jairus? When did Jesus pass through the little town of Nain? When did Jesus take a rest on Jacob's well? When did Jesus go to Calvary? When did Jesus rise from the dead? When did Jesus come to you and save your soul? When Jesus will move your mountain, meet your need, deliver you from prison, it's going to be right on time. He will not be early. He will not be one second late. The truth, I believe, blesses my heart more than anything from this account of Joseph, that God is on time. We might not think so humanly. Maybe Joseph even wondered about God's timing. But he found out that God was right on time. Secondly, we see Joseph and Pharaoh. And we look here and we find Joseph's profession. Beginning in verse 15. Joseph's profession. Verse 15, we read, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it, And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Pharaoh answered, or Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, In my dream, behold, I stood upon the bank of the river, and behold, there came out of the river seven kind, fat fleshed and well favored, and they fed in the meadow. And behold, seven other kind, fat fleshed and well favored, or seven, excuse me, and behold, seven other kind came up after them, poor and very ill-favored and lean flesh, such as I never saw in all the land of Egypt for badness. And the lean and the ill-favored kind did eat up the first seven fat kind, and when they had eaten them, 
it shall be known, should, could not be known that they had eaten them, but they were still ill-favored at, as at the beginning. So I awoke. And then he says, And I saw in my dream, behold, seven ears came up in one stock, full and good, and behold, seven ears withered thin and blasted with the east wind sprung up after them. And the thin ears devoured the seven good ears, and I told this unto the magicians, but there was none that could declare it to me. And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good kind are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. And the seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after the seven years, and the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh, What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, and there shall arise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land, and plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following, for it shall be very grievous. And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice because of the thing that is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Joseph stands before Pharaoh, listens as the king explains his dilemma and he gives him the interpretation. Now, But before he does that, Joseph displays some humility. I believe true humility and he points Pharaoh to the Lord. Even after all he had been through. Remember, Joseph had been had been arrested for something he did not do. He had been put in prison for something he did not do. Joseph is not bitter here. But he's actively seeking ways to bring glory and honor to the Lord. Joseph is not upset by the delays and the problems that he has to face as a slave and as a prisoner. He immediately sees the providence of God at work and he is quick to use this opportunity to magnify the Lord. And for Joseph, everything is about the Lord. Joseph's mind, Joseph doesn't matter. I think that goes right along with what we've been talking about on Sunday morning, isn't it? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. In Joseph's mind, Joseph doesn't matter. His battles don't matter. Even Pharaoh doesn't matter. All that matters is the Lord. And when life gets complicated, and it often does, when it seems that God is not moving as we think He should, and it often happens this way, it's very easy for us to get upset, frustrated, and angry at God. If we could ever grasp the truth that He orders every moment of our lives. What's that verse in Psalm 37, verse 23? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I think if we really got a hold of that, it would change our perspective. If we could ever grasp the truth that we are where we are because He has placed us there for His own purposes. 
if we could just get a grip on the truth that He is working out every detail of our lives for His glory and for His good, it would make the prisons and the waiting rooms of life much more bearable. And therefore, we should always be in the business of magnifying our Lord. He is worthy of our praise, even in the midst of the darkest days of our lives. He is worthy of receiving glory when our hearts are breaking. And we should ever strive to lift His name and to point others to Him. After all, you and I really don't matter. All that really matters is the Lord, His glory and His will. Notice also Joseph's plan. We see his profession here, but notice his plan. Look down in verse 33. Verse 33, it says, Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years, and let him gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let him keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that land perish, that the land perish not through the famine. Now Joseph knows that the Lord is in this moment. And so he doesn't, He does what no other slave would have dared to do. He not only tells Pharaoh what is about to happen, but he tells Pharaoh what to do. And his plan is threefold. First, he recommends finding a wise man to oversee the subject, the project. Second, he recommends gathering 20% of all the food produced during the seven years of plenty. Third, he recommends storing up the food and using it to feed the population during the seven years of famine. And it's an amazing plan. It's simple, but it would be very effective. Not only would people be able to eat during the famine, but Egypt would have corn to spare. But you know what? This plan did not originate with Joseph. The Lord put it in his heart. And he shared his heart with the king. God used a slave to set the policy for a kingdom. And it's amazing to watch who the Lord will use to accomplish his purposes in this world. He uses some of the most unlikely candidates imaginable. Who but God would have chosen Moses? Who but God would have chosen David? Who but God would have chosen Gideon and Saul of Tarsus? Who but God would have chosen people like you and me to serve Him in these days? And that's what He's done. We live in a wicked land. We we have a a land that's full of greed, and, and, and this land has a famine of spirituality. But He's chosen you and He's chosen me to serve Him during these days. That's his specialty. Notice thirdly, Joseph and promotion. We find here that Joseph has a new position. Look at verse 37. Verse 37, it says, And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? 
Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over the land of Egypt. Pharaoh likes the plan, and he decides that he could never find another man as wise as Joseph. And so in an instant of time, Joseph goes from being a slave and a prisoner to be in second command. He was promoted from being over a few prisoners in Potiphar's prison to ruling the whole nation. He was given the position of grand vizier. That's a position which he had all the rights and the powers of the king. In the absence of the king, the vizier would function in that capacity. No one but God could accomplish something that astounding. Notice, secondly, Joseph's new power. Joseph's new power. We see in verse 42, And Joseph, or Pharaoh, took off his ring from his hand, and he put it upon Joseph's hand, and he arrayed him in vestures of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck, and he made him to ride in the second chariot, which he had, And they cried before him, Bow the knee, and he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Joseph is given the emblems of authority. He's placed in the second chariot right behind Pharaoh. And everywhere Pharaoh goes, he goes. And people are commanded to kneel before him in respect and reverence. In one day, just one day, this didn't take over periods of time, this is one day a slave becomes a sovereign. The prisoner has moved out of the prison, he's taken up residence in the palace, and it's a powerful, drastic change for the life of Joseph, but it's all the work of God. So we see his new power. We also see his new possessions. We notice there in verse 42, when Pharaoh promoted Joseph, he gave him some new possessions to go along with his new position. Notice some of them. First, there was a ring. A ring was Pharaoh's signet ring. It symbolized Joseph's authority to act as Pharaoh himself. He was given the authority to sign the king's name. That's the way they signed their name back in those days. They melted some wax and then they put the impression of the ring into that wax. And you saw that impression, you know that was Pharaoh's authority. Joseph was given that ring. He was given a robe. Joseph lost the robe given to him by his father. That robe said that he was the head of the family. Joseph only had that robe for a short time. He had lost a robe when he ran from Mrs. Potiphar. That robe identified him as a slave. He only possessed that robe for a short time. Now he was given a new robe made from expensive Egyptian linen and this robe identified him as the ruler of the land. You know what? He held on to that robe for 80 years this time. 80 years. And then he was given a gold chain. This chain told everyone who saw Joseph that Joseph was a man to be revered and to be respected. And when they passed by, they were to bow at his feet. And giving Joseph these things, 
I believe the Lord was allowing Joseph to see a partial fulfillment of the dreams that he had been given years before. Joseph rode along in his new chariot. It was one of those high-powered, supercharged chariots. And he could watch the people bow at his approach. He must have given praise to God for his grace. God had taken him from the pit and through the prison, but in the end he brought him to the palace. Can you imagine the conversation the Potiphar's had at their house that evening? Well, we're not told about that, but I'm sure it was interesting. But you know what? There are times when we think we've been forgotten by God. There are times when we think the wheels of providence have run us over and left us like roadkill beside the highway of life. But that's just how things appear. God has a plan and He can change our situation in an instant of time. Jesus spoke and the storm stopped. Jesus spoke and a dead man named Lazarus got up. Jesus spoke and the universe came into being. Listen, He knows where you are this evening. He knows all about the prison and all about the pain. He knows what you're facing and all that you've been through. And one day He will deliver you out of, uh, out of your time of bondage. But until then, we need to stay faithful. We need to love the Lord. We need to grow where we've been planted. We need to look for ways to glorify Him. And we need to wait. One day you'll get up and everything will begin to change. I think of Job, and after the weeks and months of suffering, suddenly Job was released from his prison. And it can happen in your life as well. Now, what are we to take home from this passage with us tonight? Well, I think there are several lessons, but a few stand out as the utmost importance to believers. Number one, God is in control of all of, the, all of life. God is in control. Nothing happens by accident for the believer. God knows about it before it happens. And He knows about it when it happens. Secondly, He's working in your life even when you cannot see His activity. You may think, well, God's not doing much in my life. But He may be working, and He is working when you can't see it. And thirdly, He has a plan to deliver you and to promote you in His time. You see, our primary duty in all situations, all circumstances of life, is to seek for ways to glorify Him even as we patiently wait for Him to accomplish His purposes in our lives. I trust that tonight, that even a very familiar story of Joseph and the dreams of Pharaoh will remind us that God is in control. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven.